morning, Old Testament comes from Isaiah chapter 25. I used verse 1 for our um, call to worship, but we're going to read first nine verses, and you'll see how this uh, relates to our text this morning in Revelation chapter 21, which I will read after that. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word from the prophet Isaiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. O Lord, You are my God, I will exalt You. I will praise Your name, for You have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For You have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore the strong people will glorify You. The city of the terrible nations will fear You. For You have been a strength to the poor a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the blast of the terrible one is as a storm against the wall. You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished, and in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the leaves, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the leaves. And He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord, will wipe aw- and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of His people He will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. He, we will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. And now from <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21. Again, the Word of the Lord. The Apostle John in his next vision here, the seventh vision, says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. And they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to, the great, to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a a great high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of the wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter anything, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the next, to the last chapter of Your Word, we pray that You would open our hearts and our minds to the truth that is here, that we might rejoice in the fullness of our salvation in Christ that You have promised to bring to us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we now come to the really good stuff in the book of Revelation. And by that I mean the very best stuff of God's promises to us in Christ. The dragon, the devil, he's been cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with the beast and the false prophet where they are tormented day and night forever and ever. 
the wicked of this world have been judged at the great white throne judgment. They too have been cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. And now it's time to look at what follows. To behold the fulfillment of the gracious promises of God to His people. The people that He has redeemed from sin and death and hell. His promises that He has made to you and to me. And what a glorious realization is coming when the not yet becomes the already. But of course, this is not new. This is what God has always promised God's people from from the very day that our first parents fell into sin in the garden at the instigation of the devil, the serpent. In fact, that's why I read from the prophet in Isaiah 25 to show us that what God promised His people in the Old Testament is fulfilled right here in the apocalypse of Christ. Death is swallowed up in the victory of our Lord Jesus. The mouth that no one could escape from is itself swallowed up. And the tears of God's people are wiped away forever. But you see, it all started in the book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis. Some have said that Scripture kind of resembles a flower. and, And we see the seed in Genesis. And we see the growing plant in the books that follow in the Old and New Testament. But the full flower comes with the apocalypse with the book of Revelation. And notice the connection that we find just between the books of Genesis and Revelation. In in Genesis, we we read of God creating the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1, right? And in Revelation, we have the description of the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21, verse 1. In Genesis, the lights of the firmament are called into being. Chapter 1, verse 14. And in Revelation, we read that the city had no need of the sun or the moon. To shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Verse 23 of our chapter. Genesis describes a paradise that is lost. Revelation gives us a picture of paradise restored. Chapter 2, verse 7. And we should realize it even better than paradise restored. It's even better. Genesis describes the cunning and the craftiness of the, spirit, of the serpent here. Revelation tells us how the dragon is defeated and how he is cast into the lake of fire. Genesis shows us how Adam sinned and he fled from God and he tried to hide himself from the Almighty, right? But Revelation gives us a picture of the most intimate communion between God and His redeemed people. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And finally, we can add to all that 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 Genesis shows us the tree of life with an angel posted to keep man away lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. But in the apocalypse of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see man restored so that we has a right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of this city. So what is the theme of the book of Revelation? You see, it's really the same theme that we find throughout the whole Bible. It's not the devil. It's not the world who's going to be victorious. It is our Lord Jesus Christ who is and who will be victorious. 
The plan of God, though it may often look like it's defeated in this temporal world that's passing away, in the end, the plan of God will triumph completely and gloriously. And so the point here is that we are conquerors in Christ. And yet that itself doesn't even begin to tell the story. Because no matter what it may look like, no matter what our circumstances may look like, in the here and now, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? You know the answer. That nothing in this world, nothing the beast or the false prophet or the dragon can do will keep us from all that God has for us in Christ. And of that you can be sure. Now before we move on to the text, let let me remind you that all that is promised us in Christ is not just confined to the future. That you and I, we, we have a taste of the love and the mercy and the grace of God that's promised yet to come. We have a taste of that in the here and now. Now, yes, one day we're going to experience the presence of a God in a way that we do not do so today. But you see, the Scripture is clear that God is with us even now. That He promises to be with us through all of this life. He promises to see us through to the end. And then we will be rewarded with the presence of God beyond anything that you and I can even imagine. Now let me give you a smattering of some of the proof texts of this theme. God spoke these words to Abraham, the father of the faithful. Back in Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant. And here it is. To be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. And here it is again. And I will be their God. That's the covenant promise. God said so even at at Sinai when He's giving them the Ten Commandments. He's brought them out of the land of Egypt, right? But what does He say to them? Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God. I'm your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And we see this same thing, this same theme in the prophets. In Jeremiah 24-7, God promises His people that He will bring them back from the captivity that's coming. And then I will give them a heart to know Me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be My people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to Me with their whole heart. Again, later in Jeremiah 30, verses 20, verse 22, that very theme, You shall be My people, and I will be your God. That's what God says to us. And this is expanded upon in Jeremiah 31-33, just so we don't think that's just the Old Testament, under the New Covenant. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put My law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be My people. In Ezekiel, the new God promises again in the New Covenant, then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, a heart that's alive, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And here it is again, and they shall be my people 
and I will be their God. Zechariah 13.9, God promises again under the new covenant, they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is God speaking, I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is our God. The Lord is, in fact, it's personal, my God. And, and then, of course, what does the Apostle Paul tell the church in Corinth about who they really are in 2 Corinthians 6.16? He says, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So Paul is applying that promise to the church. So this this communion and intimacy that, that you and I long for is really given to us today, not in the fullness that is to come, but it is part of what is ours now in Christ. What is promised us in the future is already ours in part in the present. But you see, we long for that day to come. We long for that which is to come because then the divine indwelling, the the perfection of being with God, it will be completely perfected in the new heaven and the new earth. And so my theme will be that after the final judgment of the saints of God, the saints of God, excuse me, enter into the new heavens and the new earth as the new Jerusalem. We're going to look at those two things, the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to spend most of our time there. You can see i got lots of references there. Uh, and then the new Jerusalem in verses uh, 9 through 21. So now as we continue into the seventh vision, the final vision, let me remind you that this vision began in chapter 20. With the first coming of Christ, it's a recapitulation. It starts over. This was when the dragon was bound. Christ is the stronger man, the one who binds the strong man, Satan. And Christ begins from that time on to plunder Satan's house, to plunder his kingdom. Satan had deceived the nations, but with the first coming of Christ, what did Jesus say? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And now the church begins her mission to go forth to the ends of the earth with the glorious gospel. After the time of the gospel expansion is finished, we're told the dragon is released for a short time. He deceives the nations once again. He gathers them together to destroy the people of God once and for all. And then Christ returns in all of His glory and power. And the devil is cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And then all who have ever lived are raised in what we would really call what we call the second resurrection at the great white throne judgment. Death and Hades and all who are not found written in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire. But what happens to those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life? Those whose, not, whose names are not found there are cast into the lake of fire. What about those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life? That's what we're going to see now. And I've said before, this is the good stuff. This is the greatest stuff that could ever be. So let's just start with verse 1. Chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. The word new does not mean other, does not mean different. It means this is the same heaven and earth, but gloriously rejuvenated, regenerated, no longer under the curse of sin. 
the Apostle Paul tells us that creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now, but the day is coming when it will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And of course, it's really no different for the believer, for us, right? For you and me. When we are converted by the Word of God and the power of the Spirit, we become what? New creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this is the beginning of that transformation that will not be completed until the day of Christ's return. We will not be something different. Rather, we're going to be transformed. As the Apostle John puts it in his first epistle, Beloved, now we are children of God. Now we are. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, when Christ returns, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Now in this description of the new heavens and the new earth, John points out that there is no more sea. Uh, That may sound a little strange to us, but remember, this, this is a vision. What does the sea represent in the Scriptures? We've seen this over and over, especially here in the book of Revelation. The sea represents the nations of this world in their rebellion, in their unrest, in their conflict. Uh, The nations are like the waves of the sea, always in constant motion, roaring, tempest-tossed, always in combat with one another, and always raging against God and His people. Remember, it was the beast that rose out of the sea in chapter 13, representing the anti-Christian persecution of this world. And what has happened to the raging nations of the world that the sea represents? Well, they've all been judged in the final wrath of God. And they are no more. And so the heavens and the earth and the sea are all as they are now, shall vanish and be no more. Because you see, the cosmos, the the whole universe is going to be gloriously transformed by our great and calm, great God and King. And what happens next? Verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So this Jerusalem is not the old earthly Jerusalem. It's the new heavenly Jerusalem. The city of God. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ of all ages. It's, it's a holy city. It's free from all sin. It is thoroughly consecrated to God. This is the church. And, and we've seen this elsewhere, right? She's called the bride. She's the wife of our Lord. Even in the Old Testament, Isaiah 54.5, For your Maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. And we have that illusion that Paul uses in Ephesians 5 as he talks about marriage. And this illusion is from other places as well. But he says Christ is the head of the church. Christ loves His church and He gave Himself for her. The Lord nourishes and cherishes His church. And Paul says this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. In the Old Testament, the, uh, the, the church is also represented with the symbolism of a city. Isaiah 26, verses 1 and 2. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. So a city is, is a picture of a permanent residence. It's a picture of a great number of people. It's a, it's a place of safety and security. A place of fellowship and beauty. Of course, this is not the 
This is not true of the city of man. The city of man is the opposite of all of this. But that's not what this is a picture of. It's not a picture of the city of man. Rather, this is a picture of the city of God in all of its beauty and all of its glory, like a bride adorned for her husband, as our text says. So this is true of the church, of course, in its ideal state and in its future state. The church is always born from above. It's not the work of this earth. It's the supernatural transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4.26 But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. We are like Abraham, who by faith, from Hebrews 11, waited for this city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We have not come to Mount Sinai, where even Moses was terrified, but we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the church of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the covenant. Or to put it in the language of chapter 19, we've come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what happens next? We're told John hears a voice. Behold! This is an exclamation. To look, to pay attention, to hear important news, to take this to heart. It's the voice of a herald with the glorious news that all of God's people that we've all been waiting to hear. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. This, this is the covenant promise. We, we've seen how this runs throughout all of the Scriptures and it's found over and over by those words, I will be your God and you will be My people. And this promise comes to its ultimate and to its its total fulfillment on the great day when you and I enter into glory, when we enter into the eternal Sabbath. And what is the result of all of this? What does the fulfillment look like of this promise? Verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All the effects of sin are now removed. The curse is no more. That's why I picked Joy to the World for our closing hymn. Mainly because of the third stanza. Let sin and sorrows Let no more sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessing flow far as the curse is found. And that will be the ultimate fulfillment of that. You'll notice the language of the text is actually given as if it's already come to pass. And we've seen this before. And the point is to make it clear to us that this is so certain that it's given to us in language as this has already happened. The plan of God and His sovereign will, it cannot be stopped. It must be. It cannot not be. Because it's the Word of Him who sits on the throne. And this is made certain in verses 5 and 6. Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life, excuse me, freely to him who thirsts. Now this statement applies to more than just these words, to more than just this chapter. Uh, it, it applies to everything that we've learned from the whole book of Revelation, which is really is just a summary of the fulfillment of everything that God has promised us in Christ throughout the whole Bible. These words are true and faithful. And then in, in verses 7 and 8, we have the two sides of God's promise. The promise of good to those who are in Christ. And the warning of judgment to those who are not. The, the whole world, all who have ever lived or will live, fall into these two groups. There are no other categories. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The Lord is going to bring us into His presence. And there you and I will commune with Him and enjoy Him and glorify Him. And we will know Him as we've never known Him before. As we were never able to do before. And so this is the consummation of our salvation in Christ. This is God's plan from all eternity. That we may be not just His creatures living in a garden on earth, but that we may be His sons who live in communion with Him forever and ever. But to those who do not know Christ, the Word of God does not change. You see, the, the punishment of evil and the punishment of evildoers is just as sure as the salvation of His people. You see, there is a warning here to remind us not to presume on our salvation in Christ, but to keep pressing on. To make sure that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, our hope is in Christ and in Him alone. But you see, those who are in Christ will love Him and serve Him and cast off the sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's a great warning that is given to us here. Now, people of God, I, I want you to see something here that I, I sort of skipped over. Jesus says to us, I will give of the fountains of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And what we see here is the fulfillment of the promise of God to you in Christ. But you need to understand, this is only yours if you are in Christ. And again, this is really kind of a summary. What, what is said here... Uh, of what God has said in His Word about living water, about our salvation in Christ. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, 
from the psalmist in Psalm 36, verses 7 through 9. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. The prophets speak of this as well, Joel 3.18, And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains will drip with new wine, the hill shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. Jesus used these same words when He was speaking to the woman at the well, right? In John 4, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. And then He says later in verses 13 and 14, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal, ever, to everlasting life. We saw this previously in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Again, speaking of that which is to come. And we're going to see it again in, next week in, in Revelation 22, Lord willing. And so the question this morning is this. Are you thirsting for Jesus? Are you thirsting to know this God? Are you thirsting for that day to come when you can enter into His presence to enjoy the fullness of your salvation in Christ? The the real question here, in other words, is where is your heart? Is your heart here on earth? Are you seeking after earthly things? Or is your treasure in heaven where Christ is? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Beloved, let us learn from this passage thus far that our God promises He's going to make all things new. That's what He says in verse 5. Behold, I make all things new. And we need to realize here only our God can do this. Only our God can make all things new and He does so through and in Christ. You know, the world that we live in today seems to think that it can make things new, right? Right? They vainly imagine that they can do this by a better education, by a better environment, by better legislation, by a more equitable distribution of wealth. And they think by doing this that they can usher in this new era, a golden age, a utopia that mankind always seems to think they can make without God. Remember, it started back in Babel. But you see, their dream is only a dream. It's been tried over and over and over and over it has failed. It will not be accomplished by global economic agreements or disarmament treaties or by education or re-education or by new share the wealth or welfare programs. These things will never bring in a golden age. They will never bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Because you see, only God can do that as He makes all things new through the work of His Son and by the power of His Spirit. It's God and God alone who can restore and renew man and the universe. 
And He is doing it right now, slowly and surely, even today. It's, it's in a very restricted sense, yes. Through the mission of His church, though, to preach the Gospel to every creature, it is coming about. But you see, the day is coming when it will all come to fulfillment. When Christ returns in all of His glory, not just to judge the living and the dead, but to bring in the kingdom of God in all of its fullness, in all of its glory. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you longing for that day to come? Are you praying? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Are you? Now, in the rest of chapter 21, we have a picture of the new Jerusalem as it's described by the Apostle. I'm not going to take this verse by verse. I don't want to try to read through those precious stones again. Uh, but, we'll, but the point here is that this description is based upon the most precious things that this, or on this earth that you and I can imagine. And, and what we see here is a city that's beyond anything that we can compare it to. Here is the bride. Here is the Lamb's wife in all of her beauty, in all of her holiness. She's the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Think of that. It's a city with 12 gates, each one of a single pearl. And on the gates, we have the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. There's a wall around this great city with 12 foundations and on them are the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The city is measured by an angel with a golden reed. Uh, a gold reed. Uh, it's 12,000 furlongs uh, in length, breadth, and height. It's a cube. Uh, it means it's... There's different variations, but 1,380 miles in all three directions. The wall is 144 cubits, which is what, 12 by 12? You notice how everything enforces the fact that this church is made up of the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. The number 12 is used 22 times in Revelation. Eight times here in, in Revelation 21. And that's not counting the number 144, uh, which is 12 times 12. And this is the fulfillment we should realize. This is the fulfillment of the temple in the prophecies of Ezekiel. A, a temple that's beyond anything that Solomon or the exiles or Herod could ever build. And that's the point. It's far greater than anything that you and I can imagine. And it comprises the church of all ages. A multitude without number. The, the foundations are made up of the most precious of stones. The street of the city is pure gold like transparent glass. The, the city's amazing. It's unlike anything man could ever build. Do you realize that? It's the work of God from beginning to end. And it's perfect in every way. Absolute perfection. Absolute purity. Absolute holiness. All because of Christ. All in Christ. And that's the point. This is all the work of our Savior who has built His holy church without blemish, just as He promised He would do. Now, people of God, let me just point out a, a few things about this great and heavenly city of God. First of all, 
It is made up of all those who have fellowship with God. Nothing in the entire universe is as glorious as this communion, this fellowship with God. He dwells with us and we with Him. He is ours and we are His. It's a holy city that speaks of a holy and eternal communion with Him that never ends, never interrupted. It's a city of pure gold, so pure that it's transparent like glass. It speaks of its purity, its holiness, its its radiant character, which again speaks of that glorious fellowship, that glorious communion between God and His people, between you and your God. Now, Now you and I, we know a little, a tiny bit of this. We get a taste of this now. But you see, in glory, we will know it in its perfection, in all of its fulfillment. And it will satisfy us like nothing we have ever known in this life. You and I, we we can't even begin to express the joy and and the gladness that will fill our hearts as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His glory then. And so this city is a sign, it's a symbol, it's a picture, it's a vision of the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And it points us to the fact that this fellowship between God and His children, between you and your God, is the most intimate and abiding love relationship in all of creation. It's the most beautiful and glorious communion in all the universe. We've actually heard a little bit about this previously, back in chapter 19. Because there the, the multitude in heaven uh, cries out in verses 6 through 9, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. You see, this is a picture of the ultimate promise of God to you in Christ. To be your God. And for you to be His Son. But beloved, only those who are in Christ shall be there. Again, we hear the warning, nothing unclean, nothing sinful, nothing unholy shall be there. Only those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Only those who are in Christ. And this is that eternal day that never ends. Think of that. This is the eternal Sabbath of joy and gladness, of of worship and praise, of love and grace that shall never ever come to an end. All will bring glory and honor into the city of God and and nothing that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie shall enter it. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written there? Are you a follower of the Lamb or of the dragon? What happened to the dragon? What happened to all those who followed him? 
They were all cast into the lake of fire that burns forever. But here we are told in, in words and signs and symbols in this glorious vision that make it clear that what God has promised us in Christ, it's greater than anything this world can offer. Greater than anything that you and I could ever imagine. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Do you love Him? Do you love Him above all? Beloved, I I encourage you to meditate on these things. To, To put this at the top of your list of what you want most. Make this your heart's desire that you want to be with God. That you want to be with Christ. That you want to enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. Because you see, that's what He's promised you in glory. And that is what He is going to bring to pass on the final day. He will be your God. And you will be His people forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.